Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody. Gratitude to everybody for listening, and additional heaps of gratitude to everybody who donates to the Patreon account. You keep the show going with your donations. As I keep the expenses paid, the more content I can create. You can donate at www.patreon.com leader1. Or, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can send one through PayPal at morganrector331 at hotmail.com. Remember, there is no minimum donation, no maximum donation. If $1 a month is all you feel like you can manage, especially in these difficult times, it's still appreciated. Thank you for everything and enjoy the show. Welcome to Human Monsters. William Suff was born on August 20th, 1950, in Torrance, California. He is also known as the Riverside Prostitute Killer and the Lake Elsinore Killer. Suff's criminal record can be traced back to 1974. A jury in Texas convicted Suff and his wife at the time, Terrell, of beating their three-month-old daughter unto her demise. Terrell's conviction was reversed upon appeal due to insufficient evidence. Suff's conviction was upheld. Suff was sentenced to a 70-year prison term. He served 10 years before being released on parole in 1984. 1991, Riverside County, California. A woman wakes from a nightmare to a reality that offers no consolation. She looks up and sees a man standing at her bed. He is leering at her. It is none other than William Suff. She bolted up and tried to scream, but all she could muster were choking sounds. Her mind becomes unfocused and her vision is blurred. Suff says, Be careful. He puts his hand first to her heart, and then to her back, his eyes closed. She coughed with labored breathing. He said, You mustn't strain yourself. Suff advances upon her, but she pushed him away. She was terrified. She struggled to breathe. 
Suff said, You really should listen to me. I have only your best interests in mind. She said, Get the hell away from me. That attitude will get you nowhere. The hell away. Go. What's wrong? I'm here. His voice has a tranquilizing effect in her disorientating state. She says, I can't remember anything before I woke up here. There was nothing before here. But where is here? She is weeping now. He says, This is my home. I live here. But where? That doesn't matter now. Be calm. There is nothing to fear here. You're safe with me. I'm afraid of you. Don't be. She punches his chest and screams, Get the hell away from me. You can't keep me here. I'm not a prisoner. I'm not keeping you here. You are staying here with me by your own free will. You just don't realize it yet. I tend to have that effect on women. Due to her neurological injuries, she experiences hallucinations to go along with her inability to focus. As a drastic measure to bring herself back to reality, she bites her hand. He says, You really shouldn't do that. You're bleeding now. He touched her hand. She said, Get the hell away from me. Her tears continued to fall as her strength and will disintegrated. She said, I want to go home. I can cure you, make you new. I can make you reborn. She broke free from his grip. She pushed him away with enough force to send him back flying into the wall. She got out of the bed. Her vision was still impaired, and she fell to the floor. She crawled along a floor that was cold and dirty. She screamed in hopes that salvation might be waiting elsewhere. She shouted, Oh my God, God help me! He leapt on her. She struggled, kicked and screamed, but she was no match for his strength and weight. He grabbed her in a headlock and applied pressure on her carotid artery to make her pass out. Having drawn her out of consciousness, he was suddenly amused by the situation. He said, How hilarious! Not just the idea of finding God, but the idea of salvation, forgiveness bestowed by some invisible guy that lives up in the clouds. Uh-huh, sure. Tell me another. He let her fall to the floor. He had more. And now I have to deal with this. What should I do with you? I'm open to any suggestions you might have. Naturally, in her unconscious state, she had nothing to contribute. He was tired of her excuses. He became enraged. He grabbed her by the hair and said, But enough of this bullshit. I'm just venting, I guess. Am I disillusioned? Of course I am. Am I bitter? Maybe a little of that, too. 
On the other hand, there's always something to be said for feeling someone beautiful die in your arms. He picked her up and held her. He had one arm behind her head, propping her up. With his other hand, he reached into his back pocket and produced a hunting knife with a serrated blade. He said, Tip your head back. Good. Show me your neck. Yeah, that's it. I can see your pulse beating. Now just hold still. Don't struggle. I know it hurts, but if you yank away, it'll be worse. It'll hurt more, and it'll leave you with a shredded throat. He put the blade against her throat. He dispatched her. Goodbye, kid. You're about to die. Whatever that means in this context. He cut her strategically. As the butchery progressed, he said, You can thank me later, after you are reborn. William Suff was a very poetic and verbose serial killer. He enjoyed talking to his corpses. Certainly they never contradicted him. As he went about the business of severing this woman's body parts and placing them in large garbage bags, he said, I imagine by now you have scoffed and turned your nose up at the very thought of any part of your thoughts or any part of your body ever belonging to me. Such a horrible man, according to your peers. But we both know the true meaning behind that simple word, my dear. It's a horrible truth that you try to so eagerly and unconvincingly to hide from me and from the depths of your tired mind. He went back to sawing through a bone. He waxed poetic once again. Your mind, I will always be there. And even if the thought is a negative one, you'll still want to see me again. I know you must despise me for so easily picking my way through your past and personality, that I so carelessly, but successfully, captured everything that you are, or will ever want to be. Did I rape you, you think? No. I simply supplied you with an enticing preview of coming attractions. Besides, you'd fight to the death before being taken against your will. You'd be surprised at the amazing fantasies the mind can create when the real truth about yourself is just too terrifying. Having cut all the way through the bone, he snapped off the remainder. It made a cracking sound, like a twig on the forest ground makes when you sneak up on your victim. He cut a smile across his face with a blade of sadism. He said, do you still dream of me, even in death? I think so. He placed the freshly butchered leg in a garbage bag. He went to work to mating it into a matching set. He said, How could you not think of me now? You have been reborn. He stopped for a cigarette break. Exhaling, he said, you can thank me later. 
on the other side. Later that day, William sat down to dinner. As he tucked in, his memory drifted back to his most recent victim. He whispered to himself, So beautiful. Imagine what they would be like with the light of life in them. He savored the memory of her pallor, her purple lips, her white skin. He loved the shade of white that emerges after the cessation of the blood flow. He wanted to explore her on the inside. Indeed, he wanted to taste her flesh and drink her blood. It was making him hard. Suddenly his wife's meddlesome voice broke through. William, what are you thinking about? He suddenly became aware that he was gripping his knife and fork with a gusto that had been theretofore unknown to his wife. He became self-aware as he opened his eyes, which had been tightly squinted. She was looking at him with a stern expression. He wanted to choke the look off her face. He had to invent something to tell her. He said, Dear, I think I just had a heart attack. He hated lying. She wasn't convinced. William, how many people have hard-ons during a heart attack? It was so hard he ejaculated without hand-to-penis contact. It was still throbbing. He blushed and then laughed. He went upstairs to change his pants. His wife watched William break his latest victim down into components that could never be put back together, such as the finality of cadaver dismantlement. He took a break to play with his victim's breasts. They were so cold and stiff, they felt like they had been implanted. He fingered the nipples, cold and hard as they were, with his sweaty fingers. He became aroused all over again. He was so hard, he was nearly priapic, engorged with swollen blue balls. His wife was turned on in her own right. William moved in closer to the victim's pubic area. She had shaved all her pubic hair off, though there was some light stubble. He passed his index finger over the stubble. He brought his mouth to it and licked the micro-bristles. It tickled his tongue. It had an odor, a trifecta of stale fish, urine, and sweat. Clearly she hadn't bathed, and of course, it didn't help that she was dead. Something died in there. Well, everything died in there. His wife looked on, and she was still silent though she watched intently. Her eyes blasted him with tractor beams, with a magnetic field for slaughtered human flesh. It was the kind of look William would have felt had he not been so wrapped up in wrapping his victim up. The packaging would come later. He wanted to test market this merchandise before distributing it to the hinterlands of civilization. He unfastened his belt with one hand 
and pried her legs apart with the other. His pants hit the floor with a thud due to the wealth of loose change in his pockets. His wife's pussy was hot and wet at the sight of this. On William's side of things, he brought himself down onto his victim's cold and stiff cadaver. He grunted his way up to her face. Her head was turned to the side. Even her post-mortem reaction to his face was one of disgust and horror. Strangely, he had the kinds of thoughts a rapist would have if his victim were still in the pink. Thoughts like, perhaps she is shy. That, and maybe she is mad at me. He considered her reasoning for being angry at him. He was incredulous. He thought, all I did by killing her was to help her. What kind of life did she have anyway? No time for those considerations now. He penetrated her and fucked with all his capacity for forceful probing and rapid sex. He came in seconds. His wife climaxed almost in sync with him after shivering with excitement. The girl's interior was as cold on the inside as her exterior, and naturally she wasn't wet. He was more than okay with that. He never liked it when a woman was soaking wet. He liked to feel the abrasive internality of an arid vagina. He liked it rough. It made him come harder. Consent could never elicit that kind of reaction in him. It was re-elicited. He enjoyed fucking this girl's corpse so much, he put it back in and fucked her again. He grabbed her hair, and in a momentary flush of tenderness, he expressed love to her remains. But of course, those feelings soon receded as he went flaccid, and his semen slid backwards toward her labia. After two rounds of necrophiliac rape, Suth was completely depleted of energy. He collapsed on top of the girl. Still, despite the exhaustion, he was twitching. His wife was also alive with involuntary tics. The dead girl's performance, or lack thereof, struck William as typical. No foreplay, no reaction, no pillow talk. So, um cold. Taking all this into consideration, he became enraged. Where were all her appeals for mercy now? He decided she was a bitch for being so unresponsive. He hated her for not returning his love. He spat on her face. He ordered his wife to clean the corpse up and prepare her for butchery. She feared him, he didn't need to issue the directive twice. There was a twinkle in her eye as she prepared the body for the task at hand. Later, William was kneeling beside the victim's corpse. He whispered into her ear, nipping it with his lips. I haven't lost my touch. He scraped the side of the girl's neck with his teeth. This did not prove to be satisfactory. He bit her neck hard enough 
to leave his teeth marks permanently embedded. He didn't break the skin. He was like a surgeon with his teeth. He knew how to apply force with precision to prevent making a mess. In response to his rhetorical declaration a moment ago, his wife brushed his crotch with her ass and said, I noticed. She felt exhilarated by his murders and post-mortem defilements. She positively shook with arousal. She didn't have to touch herself. It was as if every fiber of her being were clitoral. He placed his hands on her. They slid to her thighs beyond the hem of her skirt. The door was open. Knowing a neighbor could walk by and see what was happening was foolhardy, but it also added to their excitement. He said to her, You were so pleasing to me, my love. Don't ever forget that. How pleasing. You want me to show you? He placed a fingertip between her legs. He parted the lips of her snatch. She cried out as her hips shifted her weight to the balls of her feet. She loved the sound of his raspy voice when he articulated his desire for her. She was still astonished that he chose her. She grabbed the door frame on both sides to steady herself, bracing herself for the onslaught, her delayed response to his query. Yes, he said, here? He put a finger inside her. She wrapped her internal muscles around it to retain it and push it deeper inside of her. Again, she said, yes. They dared their neighbors to look out and see them getting hot and bothered with a freshly killed corpse nearby. There was no more verbal response from him. All she heard were the sounds of his belt and zipper. She felt his hand pull away from her flesh. It soon returned, and when it did, he grabbed her hips so tightly she expected to bruise. She liked those bruises. This kind of damage got her hot. Suff was like a machine. He plowed himself inside of her. He held it stationary for a moment. She said, Always. She could have lived the rest of her life with him inserted into her. The pleasure and the pain. They were integral parts of the experience for her, and she enjoyed the collaboration. It was a confluence of the two sensations she enjoyed the most. He pressed her body flat against the door. She was incarcerated by this body, and she readily forfeited her freedom. Her tits pressed up against the cool surface of the glass. He pressed his hands against hers to keep her firmly entrenched. She loved it this way, and he did too. He came inside her, and with a rush of orgasm, he bit into her shoulder like a feral creature. He kissed her shoulder. He migrated to her ear. His cock was still inside her. His fingers were still probing. It damn near made her crazy to have him inside her, and it pleased them both to no end for him to remain internal as long as possible.
she whispered to him. I hope we'll be having another chilly cook-off again soon. Oh, I think that can be arranged. Come now, my dear, we have shopping to do. William Suff had a tender moment with his wife and accomplice. He stroked her hair. He so passionately wanted them to converge that he couldn't contain his wanton desire. It spilled out of him as a whimper, like boiling water out of a covered pot. She wrapped her arms around him in response. She said, Losing you would be my suicide. He said, Never fear, my love. You are my whole life. I'd never do anything to lose you. She smiled involuntarily. She said, So, are we ready? Yes, my love, we're almost ready. Fetch the meat from the icebox, please. She retrieved the meat in question from the freezer. Breasts. Human breasts. Having once been rounded and firm, they had since shrunken and become pallid. It didn't matter that the pinkish hue had disappeared. William would tenderize and brown the meat before placing it in a stewing pot until it was succulent. Rotting human remains hung from hooks downstairs, as Suff did the prep work for his famous chili. He was making a large batch for the Riverside County Fair. His chili was so well received, people drove to the fair from miles around for a taste. He had even won first prize for his chili on at least two occasions. The entire time, these people were unaware that they were engaging in cannibalism. Human remains within the bowl of every spoon. And boy, did they eat it up. If it had been socially acceptable, they might have eaten it from a trough like a bunch of pigs. Reminiscing about this, Suff said, Better cook these up quick. Hate for them to be tough. Don't want to disappoint my fans. Enabling as always, his wife grinned. Eager to be as obedient to him as possible, she said, Yes, dear, I'll grab the skillet. Anything for my loving husband. That's my girl. She thought, Yes, I am your girl. Just remember that. I am the only one who knows what you are doing here and keeps my mouth shut. Outwardly, all she came out with was, I love you so much. She handed him the skillet. He said, Ditto. With that, he browned the breasts. With the next Riverside County Fair nearly a year away, William Suff caught himself a new source of grist for his famous chili. She was still alive when he brought her down to his basement. He held her hands tightly within his grip. He hadn't been able to beat the feisty spirit out of her, and she bit the hand he held over her mouth. Having arrived at the bottom floor, he threw her down. The floor was perpetually awash with rusty-colored dirty water and variety filth that rained down from the plumbing. He crouched to have a closer look at her. He stroked her face tenderly. There was always a certain amount of pre-mortem tenderness. She was mortified when she saw two girls hanging from meat hooks. 
as if that spectacle hadn't been horrifying enough. The girls were alive. Or at least, their bodies were still functioning on some level. The eyes flickered, and the fingers twitched. It appeared that their minds were no longer operational. Most likely a stroke of luck compared to what would have befallen them had they been conscious of what remained of their existences as corporeal beings. She tried to shuffle over to where they resided, but the man who would come to be known as the Master kicked her back into what he considered to be her rightful position. He turned to a table. She heard clanging sounds. It sounded like metallic instruments were in alignment, as amid a sharpening exercise. It was a reasonable assumption, because when he turned around, he was holding an enormous meat cleaver. He was no weakling, but even he had to hold this enormous utensil with both hands. You would have thought he was about to slaughter a bear. He may have sharpened it, but he didn't bother to clean off the blood that remained from his last kill. It was about to mix with hers with the introductory plunge. Suff licked his lips. His wife may have been infatuated with him to an irrational degree, but his victims saw him with a clarity she was lacking. His teeth were rotting from cavities. He drooled with threads of saliva dangling toward the center of his chest. She didn't have long to meditate on this. He swung the cleaver around. Before coming narrowly close to one of the hanging women, he cut a deep gash into his latest victim's cheek. He broke through the flesh with no resistance. That was painful, but it was the thud she felt when he broke her skull that she found most impactful. He brought her to the intersection of trauma, physical and psychological, and the collision was overwhelming. Most people never experience such horrors. Like most people, she was not equipped to cope with it. Sure enough, she screamed bloody murder before she was ever murdered. She took another look at him. He was smiling. She wouldn't have to face it for long. He pulled the cleaver back and chopped her head over and over like he was cutting firewood. Blood and tissue dropped from her neck. The floor was littered with flesh, blood, muscle, skull, and brain matter. As he swung, the detritus of her body flew up back at him, and, alternately as he swung, onto her. Some of it even got tangled up into her hair. She screamed as she tried desperately to yank it out. She was bleeding profusely. It seemed there was no way to contain it all. His wife's voice from upstairs. Honey, are you about done yet? Dinner is almost ready. He savored the sound of her voice. He paused to say, Yes, dear, almost done. He turned back to his latest victim. She was crawling across the floor toward the stairs. Even if she had been able to climb them to the top, she would not have found salvation waiting for her there. Assured that this woman's incarceration was guaranteed, he turned his attentions to another of the victims. He walked up to her, small knife in hand, and lifted her from the meat hook. 
with a complete return of her vital signs, she realized she was in grave danger. She tried to scream, but all she could accomplish was coughing and expelling bloody spittle. Suff grabbed her head and stared into her eyes, with a look that he might have described as adoration. He also adored stabbing women, and that he did. He gouged the side of her neck. Her eyes bulged and grew bloodshot amid the death rattle. He looked back at the girl on the floor. She was still alive, but she also knew there would be no escaping. Feeling secure about this, he adjourned to the dining room. His wife had been stirring the latest batch of chili to ensure it wouldn't stick. When he approached her in the kitchen, he said, Sorry it took so long, that last one. She was a real wild cat. She said, Aren't they all? After more stirring and a moment of contemplation, she said, Honey, do you think that after we are both dead and gone, other folks will understand what we were doing here? He waved this off dismissively, saying, The world is full of broken people, lonely people, and hungry people. It's the natural order of things. I know that, silly boy, but what I meant was, feeling she was out of her element philosophically, he said, But splints, casts, so-called miracle drugs, or even time itself, can't mend broken hearts, wounded minds, or spirits torn asunder, let alone a perpetually empty belly. I am doing the world a favor here, you know. He was serious. She was curious. A favor, he clarified. Hell, the way I look at it, I'm doing the world a favor, getting rid of all the riffraff and helping to feed other folks at the same time. As I said earlier, I take a realistic outlook towards life in general. You can't heal all wounds with time or drugs, but you can make some folks' lives more bearable, while at the same time help those who are hopeless find eternal peace. The world is too full of broken people, so I try to break the monotony of it all now and then. You mean you are trying to help these women? Now you're getting it. The oven timer rang. She announced, Dinner time! He looked at the oven. He said, TV dinners again? What flavor are we having tonight? Hungry man, my love, your favorite. And what shall we have for dessert? He nodded toward the basement door with a malevolent grin. He said, What do you think? After his latest fix of domestic bliss, William Suff was back to business. Carrie was the latest in the long line of victims. He wasn't nearly as tender toward her as he was with his wife. Case in point, struggle and I'll fucking kill you. Carrie looked away as he raped her. He took her virginity and it felt like she was stabbed. She wept as he thrust his way in and out of her. He was grunting toward a climax with such heightened volume he wouldn't have heard her weeping. It wouldn't have elicited any empathy from him anyway. 
Eventually, a whimper or two leaked through the bubble of self-absorption he was living in, and he said to her, Don't cry. It always hurts the first time. Naturally, this was far from reassuring to Carrie. After he climaxed, he held her and fell asleep. She didn't sleep at all that night. The next morning, while his wife was preparing breakfast, William went into the bathroom, where Carrie was in the shower, in the process of scrubbing him off her epidermis. He went up behind her and placed his hands on her waist. She froze up. She was too scared to move. He pawed her left breast with his left hand and fondled her between her legs. He penetrated her digitally. He pressed her against the wall, whereupon she jumped and let out a gasp. He moaned because he was turned on by the sight of her trembling body. Fear was an aphrodisiac for William Suff. He spread her legs and raped her as he did the previous night. It took everything in Carrie to keep from screaming. He thrust into her with greater force than he did the previous night. She held on to the walls to keep her balance. Tears leaked out of her eyes as she hung her head out of shame. This is what defilement is all about. She continued to weep silently as he ejaculated inside of her and pulled out. He put a cap on it by kissing her cheek and whispering, I'm sorry, I'll be gentler next time. He turned her around to face him. He wiped tears from her eyes. She was mature enough to recognize artificial self-serving sympathy when she saw it. He wasn't done. I'm sorry, okay? My wife and I, you. He caressed her cheek. He kissed her, even as the kiss was not reciprocated. He asked her if she loved him. She said yes without hesitating because she didn't want to run the risk of getting him angry. He wasn't satisfied. Say it. Say you love me. Her entire body shaking and her voice cracking, she squeezed out, I, I love you. Good girl, now get on your knees and lick it clean for me. Fearing the consequences of doing otherwise, she gagged and dropped to her knees. Did his wife know about it? Yes. Was she opposed to it? Not likely. She smiled and said, Well, what do you think, honey? Is she a keeper? He just shrugged. He said, Not sure yet, but she most definitely has potential. She smirked and said, You mean she has a nice ass and big tits, don't you? And just what do you mean by that? You were the one who pointed her out to me at the mall, remember? She served him his breakfast and said, Your breakfast is ready, lover boy. Best eat it while it's hot. After a night of snorting cocaine with William, his wife walked into the bathroom to find Carrie attached to the wall above the tub. She had been crucified, her hands and feet attached to the wall with plaster and spikes. She was wounded all over her body. Blood trickled down to her feet, where it had amalgamated into a large puddle. 
There was a look of mortal terror in her eyes, which were bulging from fright. She stared out into space, haunted by whatever led her to that juncture. Her mouth was frozen agape. Nary a word was forthcoming. In other words, she was dead. William walked into the room. He said, Dead is dead, and there is no in-between. As people like William suffer well aware, no movie or TV show can prepare you for an encounter with a real dead body and its post-mortem vestiges. He said, Do you realize what happened last night? Not really. His wife threw up in her mouth. She gulped the bile back down, further nauseated by the taste of tomato skins. The decomposition process within Carrie's body was already underway. It was a multi-variational stench, urine, excrement, mold, and rotten meat. She had fantasized about joining in with the murders, but this was a setback. She said, I thought you liked her. He said, Do you think anything bad will happen from it? She was at a loss for words, and so was he. Neither of them was at a loss later that night in bed. She wanted to oppose him, but to her it would have felt like self-harm. He said, I can fix you. She wanted to scream at him, but she knew she could not rely on herself to follow through on that unarticulated threat. He said, I'll make you better and you'll remember who you are, despite my violent acts that seem to frighten you now. I don't believe you. You don't know what you believe. She smiled briefly, but there was something so chilling about what he just said that no smile was a match for it. She said, Why are you doing this? Why did you kill Carrie? It took everything in him to can his laughter. So, are you trying to make me believe that the thought hadn't crossed your mind? That's different. How so? Then let me leave, please. She touched his hand. Tears emerged in her eye sockets. She said, Please, just let me go. I won't tell anyone. Please. He ran his fingers through her hair. He said, You are not a captive here. You never have been. You stayed here by your own choice. Then, can I leave? You won't try and stop me? You are free to leave whenever you want to. She got up and walked toward the bathroom. She took the plunge. Goodbye, William. And I did love you. Don't ever forget that. I wasn't like the others. He began to tear up as well, he said. I know. A woman woke in the basement. She heard a man's voice say, You're awake. She replies with, It's you. He said, You've been asleep for days. I was afraid you wouldn't make the transition. She heard the sound of a match being lit. She saw the flame smelled the sulfur, and felt hot candle wax on her skin. She fainted in seconds. 
She woke abruptly as an incision was made over the surface of her abdomen. At first, she thought she was undergoing surgery in hospital. Not exactly. William Suff was naked except for a surgical mask. He extracted a portion of her stomach with a scalpel. It was so sharp, it glided with no resistance whatsoever. The pain was overwhelming. Bringing her up to speed on his agenda, he said, See, here we have the richness I am trying to create. Your blood will be the base color of my creation, and I will use parts of your skin and body to give emphasis of texture to create the most perfect mosaic effect. Now don't be alarmed, my love. I only need your eyelids to capture your rapturous beauty. She saw a glass beaker that was filled halfway with blood. It was fed by a catheter. She tried to struggle herself free, but she was tethered to the floor. She couldn't feel her legs anyway. She was given some kind of numbing agent that rendered her unable to move them. More pain as he used the scalpel to peel away the upper layer of her eyelid. Blood dripped into her eye, stinging fiercely. She lost her sight in that eye. He grabbed the eyelid and stretched it beyond its typical parameters. It was to factor into his latest masterpiece. Moving on, he said, Now for my favorite part. He leaned in closer. He caressed and fondled her breast. Finished with this, he passed the scalpel across her breast. Pain struck her entire body like a bolt of lightning. He said, Now, he turned a steel gurney around so she could see the rest of his operating theater. He said, Behold, all of my masterpieces. She took in a gallery of photos and clippings. Women were portrayed as beautiful, carefree, and enjoying life. Those were the living women. There were pictures of the dead as contrast. These photos were posted above a stack of wasting corpses. The photographs were attached to steel girders overlooking the cadavers. He said, Welcome home, my love. He plunged the scalpel into her heart. William Suff met an attractive woman in a bar, and there was an instantaneous mutual attraction. They both spent a few minutes hesitating. Who would make a move? Who would start the dialogue? Finally, appealing to her intellect and her emotions, he dove in at the deep end. Are you happy? Happy. I mean, are you happy right now? Like right at this moment? Yes. He admired her body. He thought she looked very tasty. He said, yes. Of course, how could I not be? Good. I want you to be. Happy. He reached into his pocket and pulled something out. He held it discreetly in his bald fist. The implication was that he had a little surprise for her. She was intrigued. What is it? Nothing serious, but it will make you happy. Very happy. I'm always happy. He frowned a little. 
Trust me. She looked at his hand more closely. He opened it up enough to display a blue pill. She shrugged and took the pill. She swallowed it with a sip of his liquor. Having gulped it down, she asked, What happens now? Nothing yet, silly. You've got to wait. You'll see. You'll like it. Trust me. A few minutes later, she noticed some changes. Her vision had begun to blur as the room began to spin. Before she knew it, she was dizzy. Minutes later, she passed out. She spiraled in and out of consciousness. Once, when she emerged from the abyss, she kissed him and accidentally bit his lower lip. She said, I think I could love you. Realizing this was a woman who could convey her love and lust through mutilation, he now knew it was time to advance to phase two. William Suff was not someone you would have wanted to encounter in the proverbial dark alley. He brought this woman into a literal dark alley and began to strangle her. She didn't protest or struggle against it. Hours later, she found herself in a darkened room. Her head was spinning, and she had a headache. Her eyelids were heavy. She reclined and closed her eyes. She heard someone say something about love. The voice went on to say, You would taste so good. Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hungry. It's been too long. Way too long. It's not as easy as you think. She heard more words, but they had no meaning because she lost her ability to interpret them. She opened her eyes later. The room was cloaked in darkness. For a moment, she wondered if she had died and was now inhabiting the afterlife. She looked down in herself and saw that she was naked. Hunks of flesh had been extracted from her breasts. Her nipples were included among the denuded territory. She could tell it had not been done with surgical precision, like with a scalpel. It had been bitten off. She was still so delirious, she held out her arms to him, opening her heart up in the process. She said, Can you love me? His body was shaking. She interpreted that as an affirmative. She could have taken the words right out of his mouth when she said, Love is sacrifice. Naturally, the context in her mind was at variance with his. As he saw it, there had been a time for trepidation. That time was over. He sank his yellow, incisive teeth into her neck. There would no longer be a misinterpretation of what his agenda was for that evening, especially not after he thrust a knife into her vagina. Following this was her immersion in the black abyss of the unconscious. A girl named Valentine stood outside a nightclub called The Slit Thing. An expensive car pulled up close to the entrance. She rushed to the male motorist as soon as he approached the sidewalk. 
She said, Excuse me, but my cigarette lighter broke, and I was wondering if you had a light. Sure, here you go, babe. As she lit her cigarette, he took her in, looking her up and down like a butcher inspecting a triple-A side of prime rib. She did the same with him. Opportunity came knocking. She said, Hey, are you looking for a date? Well, that depends. On what? On how much it costs me, sweet cheeks. Business before pleasure. I like that. I'll go around the world for a hundred bucks. Around the world? You know, a little bit of everything. You can fuck me in the ass, come on my face, you know, anything you want. He shook his head. Who knew where she had been? Giving her the business could have been about as sanitary as having sex with sewage. He said, Well, I don't know. Oh, come on. I'm good. She was jonesing, and this transaction would ejaculate a shot of life into a dead-end existence. He said, How good are you? She stepped closer to him, smiling lasciviously. There's only one way to find out, isn't there? After a brief scan of the area, he said, Well, I guess so, huh? Lead the way, my dear. Having found a motel, Valentine was lying on the bed, wearing nothing but her panties. William emerged from the bathroom wearing only his boxer shorts. There were red hearts all over them. They were reminiscent of the kind of cartoon character wears when their pants are pulled down and they pull them up while blushing from embarrassment. Valentine had to stifle her laughter. Wise choice. William wasn't amused at all. He was scowling. He said, What the hell? You said you'd go around the world, remember? Why aren't you on your knees yet? I don't have all night to spend in this shithole. Just slow down. We have all night, right, big boy? William stood by the edge of the bed. His fists were balled so tightly he was white-knuckling from rage. He felt like a tiger clawing at its cage. He said, I said, off with the panties and bend over doggy style. Now. And if I don't? Fuck this shit. He pressed his hand over her mouth. He put his other hand on her throat, choking her. Now she knew what time it was. She struggled to breathe as her limbs flailed in all directions. Eventually, they pulled up into a fetal position. She passed out. Assured she was unconscious, he loosened his grip on her throat. He rolled her over onto her stomach. He pulled her panties down and spread her ass cheeks apart for a detailed examination. Nothing was crawling around. No abnormal discharge. Yep, the coast was clear. He sodomized her. That woke her up. She began to scream. She attempted to wriggle free, but he had placed one hand on her mouth and one of his knees on her spine to keep her from escaping. She had a lot of fight in her, but not quite enough to repel William's suff. He thrust it into her anus with as much aggression and velocity of which he was capable. 
He wanted to make it hurt, and his plan was working. After he ejaculated, she assumed she was finally on the road to being rid of the guy. She was wrong. He turned her over and entered her via the missionary position. He fucked her hard. He came at her insides from every angle. It was five minutes of pure anguish for Valentine. After ejaculating for the second time that evening, he got up from the bed, satisfied. Meanwhile, Valentine was left weeping and bleeding. There was no fight in her anymore. He grabbed her by the hair and hated straight into her eyes. How did that feel, you little cunt? Did you like that? I bet you did. Valentine was so weakened by the torture to which she had been subjected to speak. She wasn't prepared to give him the satisfaction of believing he could dominate her mind. She smiled faintly and spat in his face. He roared like a tiger and threw her across the room. She landed against a wall so hard her skull was fractured. Blood dripped down her back from her head. She was woozy but conscious enough to defy him once again. That puny pecker of yours couldn't satisfy anyone except maybe for a faggot. If only she had been aware that there were no limits to the potential for misogynistic violence that resided in this man. He was prepared to take her to the grave. He was beyond hostile now. He was not about to take shit from someone who normally would have wound up in a pot of his award-winning chili. He was irrational, grabbing her by her hair. He banged her head against the wall so many times it left a hole in the plaster. She was unconscious, with her mouth agape, drooling as she bled. He felt it was worth it to make her stop running her mouth. Her spirit refused to die. When she came to, her right hand rose up highly enough for her to extend her middle finger in his direction. He stomped on the hand with all his weight. He brought so much weight down on it, he could hear her bones crack as he did so. Still, the night was young. One night, William Suff was on the prowl when he spotted a girl who he would later learn was named Wendy. She was walking in an area that was typically devoid of pedestrian traffic late at night. Knife in hand, he grabbed her hair and yanked her head backwards with maximum force. He put his other hand on her mouth. She had no time to scream. He elevated her chin and sliced her neck from one side to the other. The incision he made was so deep, he almost decapitated her. Her body began to spasm. She choked and retched on her blood. He stood over her imperiously as she fell to the ground. Keen to savor this with an omnisensual approach, he cupped his hand on her chest to harvest some of the blood that poured out of her neck wound. He drank a palm full. It was more intoxicating to him than wine and spirits. The next morning, police found Wendy hanging from a tree by her neck. Her legs above the knee had been severed and were never found. In 
William Suff engaged in many activities with female body parts after killing them, many of them existing far beyond the rubric of using them as ingredients in his famous and infamous chili. Sometimes he would put his clothes on them and kept theirs. He would contort the corpses in different positions that were noted by investigators as being disturbing. Most of the time he deposited their severed remains in citrus groves or roadside ditches. Another motel. William Suff had his sights set on Felicia, a waitress-slash-stripper-slash-actress. She was very flattered to have piqued his interest. He was very good at hiding the hideous undercurrent of homicidal rage that threatened to bubble to the surface. If only she had known that he was the same man who killed a prostitute named Sylvia in cold blood. He cut her tongue out, gouged out her eyes, and defiled her corpse. He wore a condom. The sex wasn't safe for Sylvia, but Suff wasn't about to take any chances. To further prevent any risk to himself, he pulled her teeth to prevent identification via dental records. He also burned her fingertips to negate any possibility of law enforcement finding a match. If you're a cop... You solve a case by thinking like a criminal. If you're a criminal, you avoid getting busted by examining the evidence from the end of the long arm of the law. You design your crime to prevent the process of reverse engineering. A detective looks backward. A criminal looks forward. The criminal avoids the intersection between them if they can. Applying this principle further, he butchered Sylvia's body into several pieces and left them in a garbage can. From there, they would only be observed at a landfill site. With Felicia, he was pondering the possibilities of how she would depart from his life. He considered dumping her body in a drainage ditch, where she would be far less discoverable. But first things first. Their first date was disappointing for both. She spent most of the evening complaining about her ex-husband as she got progressively intoxicated. Eventually, he'd had an assful of it all, and it was obvious to Felicia. She said, Geez, what's your problem? Talking about your ex-husband on our first date doesn't exactly make a good first impression. Next thing you know, you'll be talking about how big his dick was. Did it ever cross your mind I might be a serial killer with a yen for pretty blonde strippers. Not really. You strike me more as the Prince Charming type. I have my moments. I bet you do. I really am a serial killer. Yeah, right. You don't believe me. No, I think you're full of shit, actually. Come here. Lean closer. I want to whisper something to you. When she leaned in, he whispered to her, Of all the lies they will tell you, the cruelest one of all is the one they call love. Before she could respond, he stuck a knife up under her armpit. He twisted it as her eyes bulged in horror and her mouth opened 
to release an inaudible scream that never could have conveyed just how much pain she was in. Within seconds, she was dead. After disposing of her remains, he took a sleeping pill to prevent himself from dreaming. These were the chapters of William Suff's autobiography. He lived from victim to victim. One night he killed a woman named Terry. She was a prostitute. He wasn't entirely happy about the way she looked. She had a blemished complexion. In the long run, it didn't really matter. They were all reduced to bones, tissue, and breast meat for the chili. She was feted now. No matter what they looked like as mortals, they all smelled the same in death. Spoiled canned produce, mold, urine, sweat, vomit, and feces. They stunk like his soul. He kept her breasts. Of course he did. William was drinking a cup of coffee in a cafe located near a highway. Suddenly, a young, attractive girl walked up to the counter and ordered a burger. William took a break from his coffee to drink in the sight of this specimen. Their eyes met for a second, but she looked away. When you're as old as William Suff was at the time, women are either attracted to you because you're that age, or they are repulsed by you because you are that age. For this girl, it was the latter. She turned and looked at the parking lot. She appeared to be waiting for somebody. He had an idea. Minutes later, the girl was hitchhiking by the side of the highway. A car slowed down. It was William Suff. She recognized him, but turned away and put her thumb out. He wasn't prepared to take, don't kill me, for an answer, and he rolled down his window. He smiled at her. It was the kind of contrived affability a creep affects to reassure a future victim that they're not creepy, only to further convince them of their thinly disguised malevolence. He said, need a ride? What makes you think I need a ride? Well, you're standing there with your thumb out. After searching her mind for a plausible cover story, she said, I'm waiting on my boyfriend. I bet you are. What's that supposed to mean? You need a ride or not? Hey, I got some beer and some of that wacky weed if you want to smoke some. The girl's countenance changed at the mention of intoxicants. She smiled. Wacky weed, huh? Is it any good old school? There's only one way to find out, isn't there, Missy? Seeing no better options, the girl got in the car. She left the door unlocked and rolled the window down. Still on guard, she said, You aren't some kind of weirdo, are you? As she said this, she unfastened a few buttons on her blouse to display her cleavage. She had been living on the road long enough to know what time it was. His heart was pounding. He could picture those breasts bobbing up and down in a pot of chili. He wanted to see her body impaled on a meat hook, ready for slaughter. He was so hard it hurt. It was throbbing. His heart was racing with so much fury you could have taken his pulse by sight 
In response to her question about him being a weirdo, he said, And if I am, just what if I am? She lit a cigarette and grinned. She said, It's cool, old school. I know how to handle myself, he thought. Sure you do. Hours later, William Suff was standing in a clearing in a forest. He was naked. He was looking down at the girl from the cafe. She was dead. She was naked except for the large hunting knife impaled in her heart. He held her blouse, which was drenched in her blood. He rubbed her blood all over his face and chest. He mumbled to himself as if he were performing some kind of rite from a voodoo ceremony of his invention. He dropped the blouse and raised his arms toward the sky, as if summoning power from the gods. He was so overwhelmed by the catharsis, he began to weep. He howled like any other carnivore in the forest, with a thirst for blood. There was something about the presence of the dead that brought him peace and fulfillment. As he'd once remarked, It was always the same, even if I liked them. It would always end up the same. Dead is dead, and there is no in-between. I didn't have any human feeling left for live folks. The dead ones were the only ones I could really communicate with. Five a.m. William Suff was pulled over by a police cruiser. When the cop came up to his window, he turned on the usual bullshit charm. Good evening, officer. Was I going too fast? The officer placed his hand on his service revolver. He said, Sir, I need you to exit the vehicle now, and both hands where I can see them. But officer, what have I done wrong? Sir, out of the car. Now. This vehicle was reported stolen. William knew the jig was up. He still tried to feign innocence. But officer, I just recently purchased this vehicle. I had no idea it was stolen. The officer drew his gun and pointed it in Suff's direction. He said, Out of the vehicle now, sir, or I will be forced to shoot you. Forensic evidence collected from inside Suff's van led to a conviction for two murders. The use of women's body parts for Chile was an unsubstantiated rumor yet remains firmly entrenched within the realm of possibility. July 19, 1995. William Suff was found guilty of murdering a total of 12 women and attempting to kill one other. Though they could not prove their hypothesis with evidence, police believe strongly that he may have killed as many as 22 women. The prosecutor presented evidence proving that he was culpable for the murder of a prostitute in 1988. It didn't help that part of his criminal history included beating and shaking his three-month-old daughter unto her death in the early 70s. August 17, 1995. William Suff was sentenced to death. The judge who sentenced him to death was quoted as saying, He was truly evil and no longer a member of the human race. In 1997, William Suff's friend and legal representative, 
Brian Lane, published Cat and Mouse, Mind Games with a Serial Killer. The book was a collection of Suff's writing, including poems and his chili recipe, with one ingredient omitted before publication. William Suff still resides on death row in San Quentin State Prison in California. Thank you for listening to Human Monsters. Bye for now.